Hi everyone, you're listening to the Via Lucci podcast, uncensored and completely unedited discussions about life and everything in it. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello. Hello everyone. You're listening to the Via Lucci podcast with me, Charles, and John Wedger. Uh, before we go, I would just like to say thank you to the sponsor of this show, which is FYX Collagen Water, um, uh, available in Holland and Barrett, and I think you can get it online. Um, and thank you to the founder, Teresa, who I spoke to recently. There you go, Charles. Was that a nice intro? Yes, that was. I could I could feel the resistance. I could feel the resistance. You, it was very monosyllabic. Yeah, you weren't comfortable with that. Um, well done. Yeah, thank you. So, John Wedger. How you doing, mate? Very good. You Thank do. you, Theo. Smiling John, as I call him, <laughs> even with everything you've been through. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually got in trouble for that once smiling. I was accused of smiling too much. <laughs> was it this at the police force? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> okay. I smile too much. Right. Um, <laughs> in, a, in a sort of paragraph, just get a quick overview of your police service. You started? Yeah. Um, I retired from the police in 2017. Uh, was that late? Oh, I yeah, yeah. When did you start? Uh, I, did, did you... I started beginning in the nineteen nineties. I, I retired with uh, a twenty-seven and a half year pension, just short of my thirty-year target, but that was enough for me. Right. But but my main um, position now, and, and why I came to some to, to prominence, was my, my stance as a whistleblower, and that was in the sort of like twilight years of my service when I came forward and made allegations of corruption against senior officers for the deliberate cover-up yeah. of, uh, well, I'm going to term it child prostitution. People get angry with that yeah. term, but, um, you know, I'm not going to have a seminar on semantics. It is what it is, yeah. you know. Let's, let's not sugarcoat things. Um, there was a deliberate cover-up on a case I was working on, um, which did result in the, the death of a child and um, indirectly the death of a second one. Right. And it was children from the care system aged between 9 to 14 that, that were being trafficked for the purpose of sex. Right, bloody hell. Yeah. So oh, we're going to get to that because it's... Um, so I've, I've obviously seen you on other podcasts. <clears throat> I've said to you privately that I've stopped myself listening to certain bits because I wanted to hear it fresh from you. Yeah. What? So when did you join the police force? I, I joined in 1994. And what were you doing before then? Uh, I did. I did many things. I um. I was a, a, a telephone engineer. Worked for British Telecom. Did an apprenticeship for that. I was a trainee um, uh, architect. Um, I did bricklaying for a year, um, and then I uh, trained to become a commercial diver. And oh, is that how you ended up in the river police? Yeah, I, I got an obsession with swimming. You know, I still have. You know. Um, oh, you do your cold water, thing. cold water swimming. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a, a strong advocate of that. Yeah. I'm gonna right. have a go up on the the, the ponds up the road. Why did yeah. it's, it's a small thing, but why did you not stick with the BT thing? Was that not a good job? It was brilliant. Yeah. It was brilliant. But there was something in me that that just said oh. I wanted more. Right. Okay. It, and it sounds horrible, but um, when 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 you're in certain environments, I, I think I was a sort of um, a victim of circumstance. I I should have gone to university. You know, I've got quite a high IQ. I'm not sounding conceited. And I'd, I had an interest in geopolitics. Um, I, I would ponder things to a greater depth than right, some of the yeah. people that was around me. Yeah. You know, and say, especially when I was working on building sites. It, because, <laughs> I don't want to denigrate anyone. God bless people. But, you know, the, their education, some of them come yeah. from the Sun newspaper. Yeah, All yeah they were that's exactly about, what I was thinking when you were talking. Yeah, yeah. Tits and football. And that would be the basis of the... Of the Oh, Charles yeah, well, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> and for me, there was, you know, so it it wasn't a snobbery thing. Yeah, it wasn't an educational snobbery or anything like that. And I, I just wanted more, but I, 
um, BT was good, you know, and they gave me a, a good payout yeah. for a lad of my age. Oh, okay. um, and it was an easy job, you know. That, so how did the, the police thing turn up? Um, I, I wanted to do diving, you see. Oh, it's through the So, oh. so um, someone said, look, the police have got a diving unit. The Metropolitan Police have got a diving unit. And they disbanded them all for corruption. They've been caught selling wetsuits. <laughs> selling you know? wetsuits? Yeah. They were, uh, why does that feel comedic? Well, because it sounds yeah. petty, that's why. Yeah, petty, yeah. that's it, yeah. They, they were uh, selling all their equipment, and um, so they disbanded them all. And they they realised it had been going on for ages. So right. they had no underwater search unit. And uh, so I thought, well, I could do that. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd already done a course on... Um, they had no underwater search units. No, because they'd all been nicked. Bloody hell. You know. Again, it's the words petty. That's what, what, what was you earning? So what was it worth the risk to work uh, don't, because there's been a couple of things that, that I've sort of um, seen around my job, and oh. it's the same thing. It's, it's pe people risking their entire livelihoods and their reputation and their job for... The you think if it was a ton of money, you think, oh, well, I can see why, you, yeah. the risk-reward, but it's always just like, yeah. such a small but, see, see, this is the thing, it never is. And um, there, there was this study done um, about people who defraud companies for lots of money. And when they sat down and interviewed them, this is a bizarre statistic. Um, so the CEOs of these big companies brought in criminal profilers uh, to set the questions at interview, and they found 80% of those who defraud a company chose to defraud that company at the initial interview stage. <laughs> How nuts is that? So so questions are now geared right. to detect dishonesty. Right. And it was something I later got involved with in the police, and it was statement analysis, uh, and it was to, to detect dishonesty in, in people's work. And it's something that fascinated me yeah. for years, and I still do quite a bit of it now. But that, so these questions were geared um, to... to so so people choose to have someone over at an early stage yeah that, that that's really interesting because it's because i've often thought that is it is it that people good people get the opportunity yeah. possibly later on to do they go oh i could there's a you know pile of money here i could take a little bit you know and it, no one would know well, or or is it that the people sometimes people seek these positions yeah. to to exploit things maybe well, you know it's funny with corruption and they, they did do research into police corruption because, you know, when, whenever you say corruption, you know, it's sort of synonymous with police corruption. And when I joined, you know, a lot of the people had served in the sixties and the seventies and the seventies were, were well known for corruption. I mean, if you oh, ever yeah. say about policing in the UK, the seventies, the Sweeney life on Mars, it is, um, and and there was a different attitude then. There was a lot of violence towards prisons, and especially where I started, it was a given that prisoners got slapped, and that was it. It was a given. The flying squad was is that that was that around? Yeah, they're still about. Yeah, they're called the flying squad. Yeah, well, they, they oh, are. That was yeah, a term. It wasn't. Um, well, they called the Sweeney because it was Sweeney Todd was slang for a flying squad. But they are called the flying squad. They were set up by the banking industry. And they were given fast cars so they can intercept a robbery oh. quick. So they would fly off there. So that's how they, they got their term. And, you know, quite an elite unit. But, you know, when I, when I sort of really got into policing, well, what are they doing? They're protecting the banks. And the more I went through and I saw massive corporate corruption, I don't care less for the banks. I'm not interested in yeah. the bank. So why would you see that as elite? For me, it was crimes against children. Yeah. And it was always pushed down, downgraded, downgraded. So the corruption was massive. And, and they actually did start profiling what is a corrupt officer. And they, they found out that a lot of police officers, they, they, they don't join for corrupt purposes. They join for honourable purposes. Yeah. A lot have come out of the military. They want to serve. 
the, you know, the crown, and they think they can make a difference. However, institutionalization never works. You become part of a big machine and you've yeah. got to play the game. And they found out that it was officers that were in their, their, their second to third term of service. So if you break it down 30 years, we're one of the few countries that makes their officers do 30 years. A lot of countries, they're long gone before that. Oh, really? Yeah, in Australia, they, they give them a couple of years out if they're in certain units. Oh. Whereas the British police will keep an officer on the front line yeah. uh, for 30 years. Oh. A, a soldier said something to me once. He said, it's really strange, John. He said, because in the military, the older you get, the further you get from the front line. Yeah. The police oh, keep you on the front line. Yeah. So you could have a bloke in his late 50s still, you know, in muck and bullets to his last so time. when you joined there were still people that were there from the 60s and 70s yeah yeah, yeah. and, and you could see it in them sort of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. especially in uh ones that work rough areas um and detectives you know that have been in the units like the national crime squad and flying squads i mean one guy i just finished this thing about the corruption yeah, they found that if you look at the, the officers they sort of have got kids they've got a mortgage and then they end up in huge financial problems so what would once be a no-go it starts becoming appealing who knows if we take a little bit here but probably once you start where does it stop you know and it goes on and on and on from there but there are others that were just blatantly corrupt and i saw a lot of corruption i saw a lot of people get slept about and there was a lot of organized thievery do you know what i didn't care for it it had i it wasn't my problem and it was one of them things, well, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. You know, if the money gets taken, well, it only goes to government anyway, and they, what, what are they can do with it? So I, I didn't ever get involved in organised corruption. Um, you know, and of course there's things I will never, ever talk about because what a stupid thing to do. Yeah. But for me, it was when I saw cover-ups around children, that was like, whoa, 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 there's no way I'm crossing that bridge. And So, so you started off in the river, but did you go straight into diving? No, no not at all. I, um... I had to start on the street, like everyone else. Where were you? What sort of areas? Uh, I was South East London. Okay. And, and it was rough. Yeah. It was proper rough. It was, um, yeah, nothing could really prepare you for it. It was like <laughs> you turned up and the first moment you go out on foot patrol, you get called, see you next Tuesday. Yeah. You're thinking, what's going on? And then, because someone's called you that, yeah. you've got to deal with it. Right, yeah, yeah. And then there's a fight and then people from the street join in the fight. And then and it was madness. Was there it anyone was, you admired when you were first? Or was there any sort of mentor for oh, you? Oh, well, listen to this. This is, this is quite crazy. Cause, um, but when you, you, just going back to what you're saying, I say it now. I remember there was one guy on my unit, um, and he had 666 sprayed on his locker. And they called He'd him. done it. No, someone else did it. <laughs> oh, okay. They called him okay. the Antichrist. <laughs> oh, hang on. And, this and, is a good. <laughs> and he said to me, I want you to know that I've had a fight every day for 19 years. And I'm not stopping now. Not and he'd never changed his trousers, right? There were, there were caked in blood. There were blacks. So you couldn't see anything. And it, and his jumper, he refused to wash it. And it was like 19 years of street detritus on there. Bloody you know, hell. blood, a lot of blood, you know, spit and all sorts. But he wanted to keep that record up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was his thing. And it's uh, years ago, because I actually didn't want to be a police officer. And I'll tell you why. Because I, I don't like org, anything organised, right? Um, free people's a crowd for me. I don't like team sports, don't like football. And football violence was a massive thing, yeah. you know, in the 70s and the 80s. And all you saw was coppers being smashed in the head on a Saturday on, on a football pitch somewhere when there was an invasion and they'd pull the football post down. I thought, who would do that for a living? Mm. And then you'd see the coppers giving it back 
but I was never like that. I'm not a violent person. Um, But I ended up being quite good at wrestling. I ended up in the wrestling team for the police and I was quite good at it. And, and just to be honest, it saved my life and it did. It definitely saved my life. Um, And and again, that was just by mistake that I ended up wrestling, Uh, you know, and I thought, no, no, I don't want that confrontation. I'm not a confrontational person. So I applied to be a fireman and I got it and I thought, that's brilliant because the fire brigade tend to do nothing. Right. So they do lots of weight training. Yeah. You know, you could also do a bit of mini cabin, a bit of building, a yeah. bit of this, you know. And um and they get four days off. And I thought, well, it's four days a week, I'm going swimming. Yeah. Because my mind was fixed around swimming. Right. Right. Yeah. I just was obsessed with it. Yeah. And I and I couldn't go a day without going swimming. So I thought, if I join the police, what am I gonna do? I won't be able to go swimming and, and then I got to go to football matches. Oh no, no. But they had a diving unit. So I filled the forms out and it was my sister, my twin sister who posted them. Yeah. And I ended up passing all the tests and I passed them all for the fire service. And that was a lot more physical. I must admit that, was, you know, the physical yeah. standard for the fire service was quite high. Uh, and I got both jobs, right? But the fire service wanted me to start in February and the police wanted me to start in April, but I couldn't get my redundancy till the end of March from BT. So I could have taken the fire, so, but I wouldn't get my redundancy right, payout. Okay. And it was good money. Yeah. So I thought, well, that's stupid. I'll give it up to God. And, and I thought, well, I'll join the police. Yeah. So I didn't want to be a police officer. <laughs> I, I didn't. And, and I, I did things so I would get kicked out. I hated the training. Absolutely hated it. It was very military, incredibly military. We had to march. And I saw that as eroding your brain cells. I just saw, I, I, I thought, wow, this is, yeah. never scratch your head and see why they, they form the Nazis because you, you put everyone on a, on a parade square yeah. and make them march to the same thing. Yeah. You're going to get a uniformed approach to everything. So I was deliberately... It's not getting into sync, literally, mentally but, as well. Yeah, yeah, but I couldn't do it. So I was always out of step. I was deliberately <laughs> out of step and they'd all go to lunch, right? And they'd all go together. You'd have to march in in these little troops, you know, you couldn't go anywhere unless you was in a group and you had to march. And um, they had, a, they had a fantastic sports facilities, right? And they had a swimming pool, but recruits weren't allowed to swim. And I thought, you know what, F this, I, I can't sit there. I never had a lunch break in my life because I used to go swimming in my lunch break. Really? <laughs> and I used to start, if I didn't do it, I'd start itching. And I went for dinner once and I, I was itching and, and I sat with people and I thought, I don't want to be here. Yeah. So I thought, tomorrow I'm going to go in the swimming pool. So I went in the swimming pool and, of course, the PTI blew the whistle and went, are you a recruit? I went, yeah. And he went, well, you're not allowed to swim, you know. We're going to report you. It's a discipline offence for coming in. And I think, well, we'll do what you want. And he said, I'll tell you what. He said, you're good. And I went, yeah, 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 Uh, quite fast. I was. I was fast. He said, if you can do a mild breaststroke in under 25 minutes, which is good, you know, he said, you can stay. Yeah. Right. So the next day I did yeah. a mile in under 25 minutes, which is, is competitive standard, you know, he went, well, all right. He said, right, you can swim three days a week. You can swim Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but Tuesday, Thursday, I've got you in my wrestling dojo. Oh yeah. Right. Cause I couldn't get anyone in the wrestling team. So I was like, all right then. So that's how I end up wrestling oh, okay. and I end up quite good at it, you know? So, um, that made my stay at basic training tolerable right yeah. i i actually put up with it <laughs> and they they tried to backclass me for smiling for smiling 
And they said, you smile. You walk with confidence and you smile. And that was deemed as an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just thought, what, what world am I in? Do they do all that marching now in the police force? Probably, I'm not sure. Back, back then, they had guardsmen come in from the Grenadier Guards, one of them, and they had their caps pulled down. And it was just, oh, uh, the bloke he took us for... It was... My, my, my stepdad was, was a very violent man. He's, he's actually quite a dangerous man. You know, uh, he was a heavy drinker and he was a man of pure violence. Um, and he used to fight, but he never laid a finger on me. Uh, but it was, he was, he was a good man. He could turn his hands to anything. He was a nutcase. He never used to sleep. He could build. He was a blacksmith. He could weld. He could, yeah. he could even speak French. You know, he could write calligraphy. Uh, but he was crazy at the same time, but he was w what would be classed as a hard man. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I've got these people in front of me shouting like they're hard men. I'm thinking, well, that, that's not what a hard man yeah, is. Yeah. You know, this isn't hard. And I found out years later that this drill instructor, it was just hor it just horrible just shouting at people all the time. And and it meant something to march. You know, I'm thinking, well, it don't mean nothing yeah. in the whole scheme of the world. Yeah. Just because you can march. And you end up getting nicked because he had some scam going with dr a dry cleaning corruption racket, you know. Dry cleaning you corruption. <laughs> but but we, coming back to, the, to what you're saying, you said, um, did I ever look up to anyone? Now, now as a kid growing up in the 70s and the 80s, um, I, I like detective stuff. I like Starsky and Hutch, you know, the, the American stuff, you know. Um, uh, I remember a barrister saying to me once, you're like that, because um, I end up specialising in interview skills and I was good at it, you know, and I used to get sent all over the place uh, to interview people because uh, I had a, a natural ability to communicate. And luckily, you know, it got recognised and, and they really enhanced me with it. And I thank the police for that. I really do. Um, and uh, where was I going with that? Fella that you admired. Yeah, right. So uh, this barrister turned around to me and he said, uh, you remind me of that um, American detective. Because I always said, like, today I've come in with a bottle to fill up because my car's leaking. Yeah. I've got these cars that, you know, when I finish with them, even a the scrapyard done one of them, you know. <laughs> And he said, you're like that um, American detective with a really crap car. And I would never wear a suit either. I would not wear a suit. And I went, what, Columbo? And yeah. Went, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and someone said, you know, it's a wise man who plays a fool. Yeah. So I ended up with this system of interviewing and it worked. And I would always make out I was stupid. Yeah. And I did. And I would, I would do things like I'd get my paperwork there and – I would have studied that case inside out. Yeah. I would know every single word of your statement, what you had, but I would never let on. So I'd, I'd come in and my mate would say, John, should we have, read the statements? And the suspect would be there with solicitor. I went, oh, I ain't got time for that. I've got hangover. Right, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Let's yeah. just get this out of the way. Five minute interview. And then I'd knock like that. I'd knock co coffee all over this paperwork, yeah. which was inconsequential paperwork yeah. and it was nonsense and you'd see this this happened to one guy and he, he and i ended up getting him double figures i mean remember him looking at his barrister and going yeah he thought it was a five minute interview that interview went on for seven hours 52 <laughs> minutes you didn't say uh, just one more thing yeah yeah something was troubling me <laughs> yeah. did you leave and just turn yeah, around yeah, just one more thing one my more wife thing. loves you my wife loves you <laughs> <laughs> mrs columbo thinks you're great he's taking it yeah, too far yeah, come yeah, but um yeah and it, i don't know it, it works you know and especially when you're dealing with sex offenders you what you can't do is you're dealing with people that have got no rational thinking because they're emotionally broken but 
they've they've got a high level of deceptive intelligence. Yeah. So if you go in there with all this, you know, yeah. finger pointing, I'm above you, well, they're going to destroy you, right? And I'm the big am. You know, the more you tell them, the more you they know about you, the more they can emotionally get right. into you. Yeah, yeah. So you're always looking at emotional ways into people. Yeah. So you look at what people value, and what they value will denote the age of their emotional stability. So you'll get men that value things that a teenage boy would like, yeah. like Lamborghini and this and that. Well, you're a grown man. You should have grown up. Yeah. You know, that's what a little kid likes, yeah. you know? Um, so you know from that 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 person has had an emotional impact, an emotional trauma at that age. Yeah. Some people behave with such petulance when they're upset it's like a kid slamming a door, right? Sounds I'm like, taking my toys yeah. away. Well, you get ad you get adults, you get managers doing that. Well, you're like, as a result of that, I'm gonna. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an emotionally damaged individual. Yeah. And when they act like that, the rational thinking goes. Right. But with paedophiles, that because it's deceptive, they're intelligent. So if you if you stand the moral high ground, you're gonna lose. I used to stand under, as and make out I was stupid, yeah. and it was paid off. And there was a film. Uh, made with, with Al Pacino back in the 70s about corruption in the NYPD. Serpico. Right? Oh, great film. And, and uh, I thought, wow, brilliant. And when I become a whistleblower, I get an email from someone, right, called Paco, watching your stuff, I'm with your fellow whistleblower. And, and it's got Frank. I'm thinking, it's got no Paco and Frank. Well, it's Frank Serpico. Oh, right. So, wow. I was like, oh, right. And so I could start communication with him. And he said, look, I'm giving a talk in Amsterdam. I want you to join the stage with me. I was like, okay. So I flew out to Amsterdam to meet my hero, right? Yeah. What a tosser. No. Oh, God. Oh, no. I was brokenhearted. Oh. I was absolutely. So, so literally never meet your heroes. Never yeah. meet your heroes. This guy, oh, you know, because it's Al Pacino. And it's, it's, <laughs> but, but, but when you look at what Frank's, and again, I'm not de denigrating the bloke because he, he did, build up this yeah. this, this uh, environment where we can speak out so and this isn't an attack on him as you know for his professionalism but as a person he was rude he was arrogant he his ego was so really? everything he wore had to warrant a question so there'd be all special pendants and that so people go oh that's interesting what's oh, that yeah. he'd carry a cane with carvings on it so people go he'd wear a hat that was all yeah. a jaunty angle so oh that's so, and it's all about him and and I thought, what disappointment! Wish yeah, you never told yeah, me that. Yeah, oh, same. Oh, <laughs> and of course, I I went to Amsterdam. I was there for about four days. So two days before, I thought I'm not even going to drink or anything because I want to be clean. Yeah. I want to be sharp, yeah. you know. And I thought I want to I want to be ready. I'll go for a good swim before I get in there, and and even bought some nice clothes you know and after that that was it was total gay abandonment after that i went yeah. straight in the center of amsterdam i don't, yeah, I don't believe in anything fun, anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> i'm on it you know and so so um so you're, you're a year or so into the um the police force you're swimming a lot does the river police come up yet no well what happens is i i end up when i leave training i go onto the streets and i was good at it yeah you know and of course i'm working with with very seasoned um old school coppers and I seem to just get on really well. And they, the, the bully culture is massive, right? And some of the other, um, what were we called back then? Probationers, yes, it probationary constable. They really struggled. 
they had a real problem. One guy, he got bullied and he, he attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. He lost about three stone in weight because he let the bullying get to yeah. him. So what would happen is like, I'm sitting here with you guys. I've just met you. But if I went to that, to the Nick as a new probationer, they'd, they'd know I was coming. They'd be staring at me, you know, and I'd say hello. They'd just grunt, you know, they, whatever. Yeah. Very hard and blokes. And uh, if I put my coffee there, if I look round, someone would throw it on the floor right? oh. and things like that, you know. And um, it, it, it just made me laugh because I'm thinking, oh, come on now, yeah, you know. Yeah. But some were good on the street. They were, they, they were, they were ace, you know. When it was going to happen, man, they were brave and they would get in now. And it was very, very violent. Um, but it, it wasn't brutality because it, it was, they expected it. Yeah. So it was who could get the first punch in. Right. It was like the Wild West. And you'd shake hands. You'd, you'd literally go in the pub afterwards and they'd send a pint over. Someone who's just been bailed. Do you, um, I don't know if it's a cliche to say, but do you remember your first nick? Your first um, own handcuffs? Your own... No, no, I don't. Um, no. I, I, I'd, I'd tell you one, one thing. It was um, they'd, they'd go out and a call would come out and you've basically given it right you nick it i can't remember what it was but one guy said oh uh, you need to get a good arrest in and i thought he was an absolute <laughs> really a dislike without that job he'd be a no one you know he really would be he, he looked weird yeah. and that job gave him an identity yeah. and people were worried of him and i, I just couldn't care that. and i just thought you know i'm fed up with you so i just stood in the road right and this lorry come towards me and i just put my hand out I went, get out. And this bloke gets out and he was wanted for attempted murder. No, <laughs> no way. No, he man. was wanted. Jeez. And he went, well, well, you know, couldn't believe it. Why would... yeah. And then I start, I started getting information. So I'd only been in about a month and then someone gave me information on a bank robbery that had occurred in Bermondsey, you know, and it was good quality information now. And, and it bred a lot of resentment. There was a lot of hatred towards me. Um, from from some of the other people um the uh the inspector was very old school i'll tell you a funny story actually uh but the sergeant we had they, they called him piggy and they used to make pig noises whenever he went on the radio he's he was a bully it was horrible right, yeah. he hated me yeah and in we used to have parade before each shift you'd all have to line up for him and your appointments you'd have to have your pocketbook your whistle and Truncheon, yeah, you don't know. <laughs> I, I, I gave mine away. Yeah. I gave mine to someone. I gave my truncheon to someone as well. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, just don't, yeah. I, I, I never used any of it. Yeah. Was it a wooden truncheon back then? Yeah, 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 it was about that big. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Used it for smashing window. I never belted anyone with it. Um, I punched a lot of people and I kicked people. Um, headlocks was my thing, you know, but I, I was always quite upfront with it. Yeah. And the only time I ever asked anyone, was um i borrowed someone's coat because it was raining and i had to oh, go to it? to an address to check something out and i went in this dress it was in the east end it was in hackney and they wouldn't let me in i managed to get in this flat and there was all this shout and scream i thought what's going on? it was a basic inquiry and i was i was working uh investigating turkish organized crime and i've gone in there and these turkish boys kurdish boys yeah. they were they were shoving a suitcase out the window. <laughs> that doesn't look bad. And, and it got stuck. Oh, nice. Right? And then one of them 
what he'd done, he had a SIM card in his hand and he ran to hide it under the sofa. But I thought he was going for a gun. Oh, right. And I thought, what am I going to do? Yeah. And luckily I found this asp in there. So I smashed him over the head with the asp. And they all froze then. And, right, and I, yeah. thought, I thought I was going to get shot. And when I pulled a suitcase in, there's a million quid worth of heroin. Oh, Jesus. Oh. Yeah. And some of it landing in this old woman's garden. <laughs> and she was screaming and effing and blinding. They're dirty sides like they're oh, yeah. all on my roses. She's, <laughs> What's, what is this? Is it, it's a like, £100,000 yeah. bar of heroin. So, so how did it, so what happened then? So, you had your career going at this point? Uh, no, my career was brilliant. Yeah. I, I had a fantastic career. And, um, and, and I can always remember what they used to do to me. And part of the bullying thing, they used to say, right, uh, time check. And time check meant I had to come in early and make everyone's tea. And they'd make me go foot patrol as well, you know. And I didn't care. It, it, it didn't bother me, you know. Some people used to get angry with it. But I'd have to come in early, um, substitute my, my lunch break, and make everyone tea. And I can always remember... I've made everyone's tea and I didn't mind doing it, to be honest. And, and some liked me for it, you know, and I, I, I got really, um, integrated as a result of doing that. But there were some people that were horrible. And this guy said to me, he said, you're, you're a right little mug, aren't you? And I went, why? Why, why am I mug? He went, look at how I talk to you, how others talk to you. And yet you run off and make, make tea. And I said, I'm the mug. You've been drinking my tea for the last month, mate. <laughs> and it just all went quiet yeah. and a couple of blows stood up and started clapping me and those that were rude to me all right. went quiet yeah, yeah. you know I was, but it's so funny because I, I said to recently a friend of mine's uh, sec, just coming up second year of um, uh, policing talks about nothing but the bullying even now right now like yeah. over the top yeah. bullying not just normal but like over like needless over the top constant bullying to the point where she wants to leave like bloody ridiculous um, yeah so go on so your so, career's going well what they get with the women so when the women joined, they'd have a stamp where they'd stamp passports yeah. or bail forms or, or you know, it's an official stamp. And you'd have to fiddle with the date in a Metropolitan Police, police station Peckham or, or whatever, you know, bang, stamp the thing. So the women, her first night duty, everyone would get round. They'd lift her skirt up, pull, pull up her bare arse of her cheeks, and she'd get station stamped on the arse. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'll put his trousers, pull her trousers down. And that, that went on, you know. You imagine doing that now. Jesus. I mean, you know? I can do that in, in, in most other jobs as yeah, well, you know. Yeah, it was incredible. But no, I loved my uh, my my first 10 years were brilliant. My, my second 10 years, I was on fire. Mm. You know, I was going to change the world. And my last sort of, I never made the, the 10 years then, but that was when, you know, I, I really stood up against the system. But... Yeah, I was, um, I got in trouble. I got in quite a bit of trouble because no one had really taught me how to do paperwork. It was just, it was so busy. Um, they were meant to teach me on a 10 week course how to do all the paperwork. We were so busy. They didn't bother with it. They just said, well, just get out and pick it up as you go along. Yeah. And of course, it's a legal process yeah, yeah. for a reason and it's top everywhere paperwork. So my, my tray was filling up with case files, you know, and, um, all of a sudden, they all went missing one day. Now, I don't know what happened to them. There was rumours they burnt. I don't know. But <laughs> who knows what happened. Um, and uh, there was, oh, man, there was all sorts of stuff going on. You know, as I say, that uh, be, be part in the book I'll put it yeah, in okay. there. But uh, I've got to be very selective yeah, yeah, yeah. what yes. I say. <laughs> um, but it, it was all funny. There was nothing really intentional. And, I, of course, I, I end up in quite a bit of trouble. And I end up before a discipline panel. And, um, 
I'll I'll tell you what, another time I would sit down because it would take a good 20 minutes, but it's very amusing what happened. So the River Police, how did that come about then? Well, well, I ended up from from South East London, I moved to the West End, um, and the West End was just brilliant. You know, Are you well, ten years in now? No, no, I'm, I'm two years in. Oh, right, two okay. years in because I get in trouble, so oh, they, okay. they give me a fresh start. The inspector at this discipline panel he just laughed when the evidence was read out against me. He just laughed, and you could see him just giggling because it was funny, you know, what I'd done. The well, the catalogue of things I'd done, and he said, "Look, you know, John." He said, "When I joined in the sixties, he said we'd have promoted you." <laughs> you know, he said, "Times have changed." Yeah, he yeah, said, yeah. "And this one sergeant, this one Peggy, you know, oh, horrible man." Yeah. And I was able to find out that his own son chinned him and broke his jaw. So that was like, someone went yeah, to a yeah. domestic and rang me up and said, "Look, we've just been around Peggy's house. His oh, son's fun. chinned him at a barbecue, <laughs> broke his jaw." I was like, "Yes, well done." Um, and he said, "Look, we're going to give you another start." And I was like. Yeah, all right then, you know. I, I was happy to leave, to be honest. I was doing stupid things. I, I was, I'd was, i get drunk, and I remember going through a set of lights in front of a copper just so they'd stop me. And and they pulled me over, and the guy recognised me from the diving. And, and he said, you taught me to dive. I was like, oh, yeah. And he went, go on, off you go. And I thought, I want to get nicked, and I want to get kicked out. That's, That's what I wanted to do. But it was just, it was like, I had a path and I had a job, you know, I had a destiny. God needed me doing what I was doing because, you know, and I didn't realize how rough it was going to get. And then I go to the West End. What a fantastic place to be a copper on the street. It was, it was just brilliant, massive social life. Um, and it was, it was just great. It it was very active, very young, uh, people you're with, but at the time, the, there'd been a massive purge on corruption, right? With Sir Paul Condom saying that everyone's racist and all the CID are corrupt. And maybe there was an element of truth in some of that. But um, I went to this, this Nick in central London where they'd put every single corrupt detective that was under investigation in London. So it was like this hive, this cesspit of hardcore yeah. ex flying squad, ex national crime squad, ex regional crime Doing squad. Doing the job. Yeah, but they were, they were, they were, on bail they're under investigation and things for for yeah serious serious crimes you know serious serious crimes and um massive corruption and they were all in there you know so i go now i've got just under two years service but there was a mix-up in my paperwork and they thought i had 22 years <laughs> service right <laughs> so i get asked if i want to go in the cid and i'm like yes <laughs> love to yeah. so i end up going in the cid and i get uh put with this um this Asian cop, we were both trainee detectives, uh, and he was, he comes from quite a strict Muslim family. Uh, his father had something to do with, with, with the, uh, the diplomat, uh, sort of world. Um, anyway, what he desperately wanted to be a detective, but because he didn't drink, that he weren't accepted. Oh, so right. he started drinking and he actually become an alcoholic, oh, no. but they used to make him buy all the drinks. So they'd, it, it was a drinking culture, so you'd have to go out with all the older lot, and they'd run up a bar bill, and they'd give it to you. I mean, they did it to me, and I had a young family. By this time, I met a woman, gone and had a couple of kids, but she had a couple of kids as well, and then she she ended up running off and leaving me with all the kids. So I've got this young family. I'm a young boy, got no money. Yeah. I'm cutting down trees. I'm working as a tree surgeon at the weekend just to pay bills, and, you know, Again, I was ripe for like the corruption yeah, thing, yeah. but do you know what? I never, I never crossed that line. And, um, and I, I'll tell you an interesting story I, where my faith was tested on that one. And I can remember once we went into a bar and it, these two, uh, DIs, detective inspectors run up this bill, 
and said, pass it over to me. And I went, I just got to the toilet. I climbed out the window of this bar in, in Victoria and legged it. <laughs> <laughs> and they removed it. I got booted off for that and sent back to uniform. Yeah. yeah uh, and then the job come up. Um, there was a brilliant detective sergeant there and he said, look, river police has come out. I was like, joking. He said, John, you, you, get, you get four days on, four days off. They work the same pattern as a fire service. And he went, you know, you'll, you'll be on for your kids. But it's the most oversubscribed application that there oh, is. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's like 2,000 people go for one position. Anyway, I went, I went for it. And you have to do, um, funny enough, do a swimming test. And I was good swimming. You have to swim in your uniform. It's quite, quite physical. Anyway, I smashed it, right? And there was this one guy, and he was a good swimmer. And I was thinking, oh, he can't beat me. And as you're swimming, he's really, anyway, I beat him. And he's standing there just staring at me. He went, I've never been beaten before. And I went, oh, I look very lean. But it turned out he'd come from the SBS into the uh, right. the special boat squadron from the Royal Marines. Oh. And he was one of their top guys. Yeah. And uh, he was a, he's an interesting, you could write a book about that guy. You know, what a phenomenal individual he was you know and i'm still in touch with him and god bless him you know what what a warrior so um i got this job on the river and uh it was to be honest it, it was really interesting lots of history and the history was, you know we was on about the other day about these little programs that that jules fella does about oh, london yeah, yeah. yeah and part of it is you have to know about the history of of crime in london and the river and it is fascinating mm. it, it's and it's really bizarre because you also um, know about the origins of, of policing and it all comes from the water maritime law you know oh yeah maybe saying the courts so, still follow yeah. this what is it the you, you, you get bailed out yeah when you're in trouble like you bail out a boat yeah. you know and then the dock. and you, you can only be tried on dry land so that's why you're in the dock <laughs> you know and it's all based yeah. on maritime law and that's why and and uh, a captain is always three steps up and a judge is always three steps up oh, so a courtroom is actually a dock yeah, that's a good point. I never thought of it, yeah. With the bridge house of the boat where the, the captain presides. Oh, God. And it's all based on that. And that's why the police wear blue, you know? So what, what was, what's, what's the policing of the river? Because you're not out now talking it's, to people it, and all. You're... It, well, well, it's the oldest police force in the world, right? right? So Wapping Police Station in the East End of London. And what a fantastic set. It's like something out of a, you know, Oliver Twist film. <laughs> and it's all the old wharf buildings and wharfs, you know? And again, WARF is an acronym. It's Warehouse at Riverfront. Oh, WARF. Uh, yeah. yeah and, and a cobbled street and this police station. Is, I'm learning so much. This yeah, is great. Yeah. It's great because this police station was, was built in 1798. It goes subterranean in tidal terms. It doesn't even leak. There's no musty smell of, yeah. you know. And, and it was like stepping into time, but going back into time, you know. And years ago, they used to roll the boats out and someone would be keeping the pace. And that's called the beat. That's why coppers oh, are on the, the beat. beat. You know, they'd literally oh. row the boat. Yeah, yeah, and they weren't allowed doors on the boat because the coppers weren't allowed to get warm. So they'd take the doors off the boats. So you and because when you're on the water, it's cold. You instantly yeah. get cold. Is that a lot because of customs neck size and sort of? Yeah, well, well, it's an interesting point because the inspectors for um, for the river police are the only inspectors um, in in the whole of the UK and the the the. the um, what do they call them, uh, dependents, uh, where they, they're given the open warrant. And the open warrant is what customs officers have. So they've got an, a warrant. They don't need to go to a court to get it stamped. 
But the inspectors on the river police, they had that as well. Oh. So they could just turn up and go in the house. So they have the legal right to stop and search? And yeah, well, they've got it anyway. But a boat, see, a, a boat changes because when, when a boat's moored up, it can become a residence. True. Yeah. So you need a warrant. Yeah. But oh. when it's underway, it's a vehicle, it's a conveyance. Oh. So you can just get in there, you know? Yeah. Um, so they taught us how to drive a boat. Um, and we end up with a ferryman's license. So it was a real high standard. They train you, you got to learn knots and, and all sorts, which was very interesting. Uh, but then patrol wise, they didn't really do a great deal, especially when I say, nights. what's the day to day job? We're just going up, and down? up, going up and down the Thames, you know, the whole lot. Yeah. yeah. A lot of suicides, a lot, so a lot of dead bodies, yeah, a dead body and, and they're rotten. Oh. You know, I can remember once there was, um, so you had to know all the bridges and everything. So, you know, in the Thames. So we're in, uh, sort of like the center bit where the, the current is really strong. So around by the city of London. So between sort of, uh, Blackfriars Bridge, you know, um, down to London Bridge, it's, it's terrible. The water was very turbulent and they've got a few barges moored up and you get the touristy boats go up and down. And they had a load of kids were on this boat on a day trip or something from a school and they're going along and a report comes out. There's a body been seen in this little stretch of water. So we go down and sure enough, there is a body and it's, it's lying up behind one of the barges. It's been caught in a tide. And we had these, these, they were like little pickup trucks, these boats. They were brilliant. Backed it right in. And then you lean over and, and you put some rope or whatever and you, you grab the body and you bring it in. Anyway, it's, Someone held me, I leaned forward and I managed to get this coat of this body and I pulled it in and then I was losing my grip so I grabbed the arm and I pulled the body by the arm and of course the kids are pulled up alongside with the boat yeah. and they're all looking out, there's not much we can do yeah. and I'm trying to pull this body out and as I pulled it out, the whole arm come off and then the body floated off and I'm standing there holding this arm and these kids are yeah. screaming and, and the stench is yeah. just incredible. Oh. You know, my tolerance was very low and I, I was thinking, oh, this is too much for me. I, I can't, I started arresting people. They'd, they'd, they'd nicked about nine people in nine years. Yeah, whereas say, yeah. a normal nick, that would have been in the first hour. Yeah. You know? And I thought, oh, this is too much. I can't, it is good. I'm getting home from your children. It's, you know, and I can, a bit of time where I can do and earn a bit of money, but it's not for me. It was killing me really. And at night you go and sleep and they would drink as well. You know, after about midnight, they'd get a bottle of scotch out and they'll have a drink and, you know, if, and there was no one to adjudicate over us. That's what they did, you know, sleep it off and then go home. Um, so, and I wasn't really a big, a sort of, I wasn't really a drinker, but then the police turned me into a massive drinker. Yeah, yeah. You know, I went, by the time I'd done my service, I was borderline alcoholic, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and they're just, because it was a river port, uh, we had, um, an office there run by special branch and this is where i started getting into the that level of policing as well and realize you know there's not much that goes on that these people don't know you know never underestimate our intelligence services or our covert police unit people sit there and think they're one up you ain't never go yeah i get really not not frustrated or annoyed but it's like people say send me a message don't ring me on whatsapp they monitor it Just do it on telegraph and you think telegram or or what i think oh seriously really well they're they're, been, they're in quite a few of those um they sort of encrypted services yeah. haven't they that they've 
um, the encrypted phones that were supposed to be used by sort of um, drug trafficking gangs and such you know, across European things. And it turns out that they police have been on them for about yeah. a year, monitoring everything. And then they just they just do a clean sweep and get dozens of people, people arranging murder, talk openly about murders and stuff, and arranging all types of stuff. And it's just and it's all there in in text. Ultimately, never put anything down. Yeah, digitally especially, never write anything down. Never there, anything down. It, it, yeah, because yeah. because someone's gonna well, it's it's gonna be stored somewhere. Well, you know? well, what people overlook is uh, police aren't your C and I. Okay, they, they can listen on you and, and, and surveillance on you, but it's very intense. It's very manpower expensive and everything else. Right, they get their information through informants. Right. You know, get it right, criminals. Yeah. You're in prison because one of your team grasped on you not because a copper in the street followed you yeah. around a shop you got grasped on yeah. end of i ended up working in that world right for many years i ended up going into the prison system uh and uh, working with organized gangs especially with, with the turkish organized gang and my word who was grassing on who was it, it, <laughs> honestly yeah. it's a joke when people go oh we sort our own problems out i laugh i think no mate you are all dobbing each other was in. That, being in the west end did the vice thing kick in more well that that did come on a bit yeah. later you know so it's um but yeah, yeah anyway sort of going back to that 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 special one saying there was a detective sergeant there and he'd been brought in for intelligence. So we used to work with the special branch teams and with the, the relief teams on information. And he said to me one day, can I kind of a word with you? I went, yeah. he said, come into my office, went in his office, he's a very secretive man, but he was a good man. He, I want to thank him. I want to thank this guy because he really springboarded my career. Um, and again, I'm not going to name him because it, I, I don't know whether he does covert work now. He, he'd be long retired, but, you know, um, he knows who he is. He's a good man. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, look, I've got problems with, with the kids and, all, you know, I'm on my own, single parent. And he went, this isn't for you, he said, but I'll tell you what is. He said, I'm getting a lot of info about paedophiles that are living on canal boats. He said, it comes under our jurisdiction. And he said, we're getting it, all this info from the prison system. He said, the... Um, paedophile unit scotland yard they want you sorted you know and he said john with the info of two of them living on boats he said it's yours if you want it i went yeah he said i'll look after you you still get your four days but do four days no nights anymore and then four days sink and he said um what do you need i said i don't know uh i said look what if i um i cycle through the canals and i don't need boats and all that i'll and I, I end up with this brilliant system. So he went and got me a bike. And um, because it's a police, he had to, it had to have a bell on it. And it had to have a license from the, National, the British Waterways Board, right? Because you, in order to cycle a bike on their, on their property, you've got to have a bell and you've got to have a license. And I was the only one registered officially on the British Waterways with this soppy little bell on this bike that they got me and I had a license to do it and the British Waterways patrol officers all ex old Bill and they were brilliant and, uh, and I said well I'll tell you what I'll do I'll, they're all like hippie-ish you know all smoke a bit of weed so they think the police are like the Babylon and yeah. this very white middle classy sort of uh, attitude that they're you know anyway. so um, I think how am I going to get involved with these people so what I used to do was what is their problems? You've got to work out what is in someone's heart. What do they want? Right. And that's what you give them. And all they were worried about was people throwing stones at them and nicking their push bikes. That was their whole life's problems, you know? 
So I said, okay. So I said, look, I'm, I'm doing like an anti-bike theft uh, campaign and I'm going to also do a, a, a riparian base, a land-based thing to stop kids throwing stones. Can we all have a meeting? And they used to have these huts, they called them cruising clubs, where they'd all meet and have this little like uh, community meeting. And I say, look, this is, I'm not your home beat officer for the canal system, you know, uh, I'm going to stop bike theft. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. So the people who live on the canal. Yeah, it was a lie. It was an absolute yeah, lie. Yeah. I had no interest in them. They got my nerves. They just want to get your foot in the door. Yeah, they were, just, they were just a strange bunch. And I'm not denigrating anyone. I, I like to be honest here. You know, they were a very bizarre bunch of individuals, but amongst them, they were paedophiles. Yeah. And because of this middle class naivety, and again, I'm not denigrating middle classes. I'm not at all, but they do have this inherent naivety at times that they think, because someone smokes a joint, they're involved, they're, they're one of them, you know, mm. they're one of us straight away. That's why covert officers, undercover officers can infiltrate these hippie groups, these um, conservation groups easier than any other group. And one of them said to me once, he said, John, all you've got to do is make out you smoke a joint. And they think, well, it can't be the Babylon. He yeah. smoked a joint. He said, I couldn't believe how easy they were. <laughs> Whereas when you go into organized criminals, especially a place like Bermondsey or the traveler community, no way. It's no go. Yeah. No go. They're too wily. They're too shrewd. You know, difference between a dog and a fox, you know? Yeah. So I used to say, can you, can you give me your names? I'm going to put you on this circular. And if, uh, and we did a few proactive jobs. So I'd get a load of officers down to stop kids lobbing stones and a little bit of a bike stamping thing. It was all a nonsense, right? But I got their names because you, you don't need to register your name to have a boat, right? right? They'd register their names under Donald Duck and stupid things like that. So all of a sudden I got their names. So some would give me a date of birth. That could be tricky. Yeah. And I'd say, well, because your name, there's a couple of you. If you give me like the year you were born, yeah. I can say, well, you're 50 year old John Smith and you're not 30 year old John Smith, you know? That's how I got away with it. And then I started name checking and PNC checking and ping, 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 ping. Oh, Christ, really? Yeah. And all of a sudden I went back and, I, and, uh, I used to have to go to these intelligence meetings, right? And again, it opened me up into this world of, of intelligence and there would be anti sex offender, um, pedophile tracking intelligence teams. And we'd meet in like porter cabins and things like that on a disused runway you know, in the middle of nowhere, right? And there'd be intelligence officer for the travel industry, for the post office, for the military intelligence, for this. And they had, they had to get the whole country on lockdown. It's like, see, this is why I'm confused that how, how do people like Jimmy Savile get away with it? Because I know yeah. the level of intrusive intelligence that there is out there, you know, and they were telling me the share of information was unbelievable. And that's where I started realizing these, these connected networks, the pedophile networks, the child abduction gangs, the, the ritual abuse gangs and all that, you know. Um, so I'd, I'd share this information. So they said, right, your tasking was to get two more pedophiles in a three month period. How have you got on? And this was in the first month I went, I found 90. Nine zero. Yeah. They went, you what? I said, yeah, 90. And one was planning on abducting a little kid and, and mut mutilating it, you know? And of course, what, what are canals? Um, and again, it's, it's, this is where profiling is a phenomenal tool. Um, so that the, the law allowed them to sort of come out of prison once they've been convicted, cautioned, uh, you know, um, for a, a schedule one sexual offense. Um, it allowed them 28 days to basically roam free before they had to register. So 
if you're living in a house, they're going to knock on your door and say, well, you've not registered your yeah. back inside. You live on a boat, you move because it's to do with the policing district you're in. Right. So if I'm in Hertfordshire and then I move my boat to Buckinghamshire, so if I go from Burkhamsted to Aylesbury, yeah. I get another 28 days. And then if I move back again, so I don't got registered. You can go back yeah. and reset. And, and, uh, and out places do, uh, I know moorings and stuff, you do have to, some places you can't stay very long anyway, so yeah. you have to move oh, yeah, every okay. couple of months. It's called continuous cruising, you know, yeah. and it's a cheaper way. And of course, people want to move. The element of the boat is that they move. Um, but kids like boats. So we found that a lot of these paedophiles were targeting special needs kids, kids with problems at home, you know, um, there was one, and it was a boat that used to pick up kids from Camden Town, and it would take them on a lovely little sort of urban exploration along the canal to, to the zoo, right? The guy that was the deckhand, he was a massive paedophile. He was only a young kid. He was only maybe 19, 18. Looked normal, so you wouldn't know. His job was uh, taking kids to the toilet, and, of course, he was sexually assaulting them. And they'd been doing it for a long time, you know? Um uh, so we're looking at well, why are they in certain areas? Because they were in clusters, you know. Southall, big problem in Southall. Big problem in Springfield Park, where the River Lee and the Canal meet in Hackney. And there was, and then I started looking. This guy said to me, "Look at geographical profiling," and I realised it is in the geography. The geography explains everything. Yeah. Once you know geography, you 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 know. Yeah. There's a brilliant book called uh, Prisons of Geography: Why Some Nations Rise to um, Wealth and Others Don't, and it's not using management; it's down to the geography, their access to wealth and resources and things like that, and weather conditions, yeah. everything. It is, and one of it is is navigable waterways, right? So, so Europe it, it went wealthy because the rivers like Dan the Danube, you can navigate them up and down. You can't do that in Africa because the landfall is too great. You can't navigate up the Zambezi or whatever. Yeah, that's why they're they're poor, you know. So anyway, I looked at it and realised well, these clusters are where where the the canals meet rivers and all that. But also because they're so old, canals and rivers, they're boundaries. So you could get um, Hertfordshire meet Buckinghamshire and Bedfordshire, right? That's outside of London. In London, it makes it even worse because you've got Hertfordshire police. Thames Valley and and the other ones, whatever, right? Different forces in London. Each borough is its own individual police district. So we've got like 26, 27 boroughs. We've got 27 policing districts in London. Yeah, it's just plus amazing. the city of London police, which are a weird entity anyway. Yeah. And um, so you can move from like Springfield Marina, you can move across into the Lee Valley marshes, and then you can move back all within the distance of this room. And you've done a fridge. And, and what made it worse as well, what what was on the TV at the time? Rosie and Jim. The oh, programme about the little kiddies on yeah. the canal boat. You know? And of course, they would put Rosie and Jim dolls, right? So when, when I started dealing with sex offenders, the profiling had to come in because we were taught to look for indicators. And symbology comes into it. So you'd have an action man, a fleur-de-lis badge, you know, like the Boy Scouts. That would attract them. I'm in the Boy Scout. You must be a Boy Scout, you know. Um, little dolls and all that. And kids, see, kids are different to adults. So for us to know each other, it's going to take a few meetings, a drink and all that. And then you do me a favour and you might just might be my mate. A kid, all you got to do is lend them a pencil. Oh, he's my friend. Yeah. 
or an ice cream man give a kid a free ice cream. Mummy, he's my friend. So that that you know their acceptance and their loyalty yeah. is a lot more naive than it is an adult. So kids warm, and especially if a kid has come from trauma and abuse, and never underestimate, you know, the intelligence of groomers. Yeah. And it was meant. It was it was crazy. So. They were like, we've got to stand by you, John. So they said, you're with us full time now. So now I'm full time doing this work with, with um, uh, a covert unit that, that run out of Vauxhall. Again, Vauxhall, you, unbelievable. You go around Vauxhall, all the intelligence units are all around that, where the MI6 building is, across the road, there's their arches. You go behind that, you've got this estate and there's all the intelligence offices, right? Um, for every agency you can imagine. It's that whole area. But also what is weird about that, that's where they've got all these sort of dungeon clubs, all the s &M <laughs> dungeon clubs and all that, you know? And, and they what, an overlap there with some and, of the and members. You know, yeah. Another bizarre thing, because they've got a lot of these Portuguese cafes there, right? And the journalist said to me, because we were talking about this, she went, oh yeah, we know all about this. She said, that's why we know they all go drinking. We know you lot are big drinkers, right? And of course, when you get drink, you start, Mouth enough. <laughs> so the journalists, what they would do, they would just sit in these coffee oh, shops, listening, goodness. listening. And of course, there's been cases of people leaving their laptops, yeah. files, yeah, or whatever. files, yeah, yeah. and that's and of course, it's the journalists who pick them up yeah. because they're, they're sitting in there all the time, listening to these conversations. Yeah. So they got behind me full time, and it was brilliant. This was really going places, right? This was massive, but names started cropping up. Right. Names that, that ended up on the, the pie list, which is a pedophile information list. Uh, anyone who doesn't know that, please Google it. Pie, an acronym. And it was, it was a group that was sponsored by the Labour Party, by Harriet Harman and our group. And it was a, it was a, a lobbyist group made up of some very prominent members of society. I think the head of the boys brigade was on there. There was military people, coppers and all that that wanted the age of consent between a man and a boy totally abolished got rid of i have thought in america they're trying to do that now. yeah yeah that it's, was, a, it's a libertarian thing yeah, yeah. That there's oh. yeah and 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 even um the uh liberty uh so it was a campaign for civil liberties back then and then it morphed into liberty they allow pie and i think it was in 1981 to give a talk at their annual christmas conference at the london school of economics absolutely a appalling situation again public domain this is all information that has come out and the uh independent government inquiry into child sexual abuse so i'm not breaking any yeah. any uh public domain issues here or anything like this this is a public domain matter um so names started cropping up right that were connected to government um and all of a sudden i'll, I'll come in one day and pulled in the office and the uh the, the boss of the unit comes down and says, John, I need a word with you. I need a word with you. I'm going to give you a commendation for all your, you know, dedication to duty and your, you know, and all this sort of nonsense. But as far as you're concerned, you're off of this operation. And I was like, it's like, why? What, 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 what have I done? And he looked at me and he said, oh, he said, I'm not going to lie to you. He said, you know, he did say initially that we couldn't afford your yeah. secondment. And he said, I'm not going to lie. He said, I, I owe it to you. He said, it's come from very high up, John. He said, it, it's got too big. Yeah. It, it's shutting down and there was nothing we can do. And he said, look, we're going to offer you another job. So they put me on an anti-terrorist unit, right? A marine anti-terrorist unit where, and these lot will, will work. So can I say, did that worry you when these, when names started coming up? Well, did, well, did, did you start 
for, for your career and yeah well well not you know, not really but what it was was the first time my eyes were open to what what would be crashly classed as a conspiracy and there was a very uh seasoned old school pioneering detective of paedophilia um at scotland yard at new scotland yard on a paedophile unit he pulls me to the side this was probably a day before this meeting and he said john i need to tell you something he said in policing, when you get really good at something, he said, you're, you're promoted, you're pushed forward, you know, you're loved, and uh, doors will open for you. And I went, yeah, he said, not in this game. He said, in this game, it works the other way around. The moment you start getting too good, you're in trouble. And he said, um, twice, twice, we had, and he named a home secretary. He said, his name cropped up for crimes serious serious sexual crimes against young boys and on every occasion we had our funding pulled in we were dragged in we were debriefed by the home office bomb plug was pulled he said your name is now being mentioned a lot in here in this office in the intelligence meetings he said you've got a shelf life mate yeah he said please for your, for your own thing you know yeah. take heed he said i'm giving you a friendly warning you know as someone who respects you yeah and of course the next day this happened and so my respect has all gone for them now. So they, they put me on this unit and they sent me off to, to learn abseiling and tactical marine skills. We did a stuff with, with the boat squadron and all sorts. So I was next thing I was abseiling down buildings and I, which is all good and all that and fast boats, you know, uh, we used to do these joint things with the Royal Marines out at the open sea, intercepting boats climbing up them you know with ropes and all that it was tough to sound kind of cool like yeah, kind of exciting it, it is but it, it was pointless it was pointless there was no crime element and i thought it, it, it was just they'd get a, a big powerful rib right that did 70 knots and they'd say things like sort of people that watch top gear you know serious bit of kit and and it meant what you understand with me it meant nothing to me right you, you, you couldn't bribe me there's nothing you could bribe me with because there's nothing you have i want yeah you know, a heap of money, a rose, I'm not interested, you know. Uh, it means nothing. I've just got this different sort of outlook. And, um, and I can remember once we were going out to, to intercept um, some sort of cargo boat that come in from Africa. And it was in, I don't know, we, we, we were allowed to go to the 12-mile limit, right, international waters. So we're racing against the Royal Marines. They're getting helicoptered in and we're leaving from... Uh, whopping on this boat that did 70 knots and I'm the operator of this boat and, and I meant to navigate but you, you can't navigate you, have, you, you just can't do it it's just crazy it's going too fast anyway as it's going along they had one guy filming and another guy just stood up I don't know why he stood up decided to stand up as he stood up we're doing 70 knots a seagull hits him in the face oh god <laughs> hits him in the face and all you see on the video is his feet twin like that <laughs> And it brought it fractured his skull. Jesus. Yeah, yeah he got headbutted by a seagull. <laughs> There's all feathers everywhere. I wanted to still footage of that on some yeah, social it was, media. Yeah, problem. it was on that. And, uh, and after that, I thought, oh, no, please. I don't. So I went in and said, oh, I can't be here. Um, please, can you help me move on? And um, they, they said, yeah, what's come out? So look, Vice Unit's come out, the Vice Unit. And I thought, I really want to be on that, you know? And uh, in the West End, the prostitutes, the gambling and all this. And so I said, okay, again, it was a difficult unit, very elite unit. And um, and this is where, not that I'm a member of a secret society or anything like that, but the guy who liked me 
who helped my career was, and there's a lot that are, right? Okay. Freemasonry is very, very big in the really? uh, So he went, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, show me the advert. So show me the advert. And it's got all, all paperwork to be submitted um, and replies to inspector so-and-so. He went, it's in my lodge. I went, you what? I didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. So I'm on the square with him again. What does that even mean? You know, and he went, leave it with me. So he rings him up and he went, uh, is that so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hello, brother. And all this. Yeah. So listen, that job coming out, good kid. I want to sponsor him. He went, all right. And he said, put on loudspeak. And he went, pen and paper. So my, my sergeant goes, yeah, right. He's going to be our sis, right? Here's the answer. Oh, no. Going to be our sis. Simple as that. Phone that and that was it. You know, um, I'll put a good word in anyway, yeah. right? As long as the answer's them, he's got it. And that was it. And that it was as simple as that. Do you remember what the question was? Um, one of them was about diversity for some reason. Right. Um, uh, transgenderism or something like that. But um, it, there'll be a scenario, and this is what you're oh, going okay, to right, see. But uh, You've got to hit those points for HR. But you've also yeah, got yeah. to hit the HR points, you know, diversity and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, I went for it. And it was just quite embarrassing, to be honest. Was, you know, <laughs> I got this little nod and this little knuckle rub of a handshake when I went in. And, you know, uh, and it was... Uh, it's was quite it. immature for an adult. Yeah. But it's how it works. Yeah. You know, it is. You've got, look, you've got to survive in the environment you're yeah. in. Uh, so I went on there and I went onto a unit called the Street Offences Unit, working on the street with the prostitutes. Again, all of the girls, are heroin addicts, crack addicts, come out of the care system. Every one of them. So th there's this big argument in there, you know, we should legalise prostitution. Well, it will get girls off the street. A load of nonsense. Let me tell you now, that is an absolute load of nonsense. Girls who work the street are on heroin and crack cocaine. There is not a shop, brothel, or any unit will ever employ them because they're on crack and heroin. Right, yeah. They'll thieve. They're dysfunctional. Yeah. They're, they're wired to the moon. I'm not denigrating them. It's, it is how it is, you know. You're trying to fit people into a sort of job job. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're trying to make you're trying to make that profession into a job job yeah. you're trying to fit people you oh, can't well, necessarily do a nine to five or a job job yeah. you know, into that. When 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 someone is addicted to, to a drug like heroin, you know, there is nothing you can do. You've got to clean them. They've got to be cleaned up, then they've got to be given therapy. So, which is something I'll come on to in a minute. It's something that I'm I I'm involved with doing now, you know? Because the system don't work. You know, don't let anyone tell you this system works. 80% of those in prison, right, have come from abuse childhood backgrounds. Not necessarily sexual, but abuse childhood, 80%. 80% recidivism rate, 80%, <laughs> right? 80% illiteracy rate, 80% illiteracy rate to, to what they call a level one standard, which is basic levels of yeah. illiteracy. And I gave a talk one day and I said, if I, you, you was a customer, right? So Theo wants a, an extension bill and I'm a builder and, and I go in and I say, right, Theo, this is, this is how it is, right? I'm going to build your extension, right? I'm going to charge you 450 pound an hour per person. Every email I send you is 50 quid. Every phone call is 25 quid. Every text message is 25 quid, right? We're going to build this extension. Right, we've got government backing for it, but bear in mind 80% of all extensions I've ever built immediately fall down and you're going to go well get stuffed i'm not doing that well that is a simile of our justice system barristers charge 450 pound an hour right you 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 take you text them and they reply a text they'll, they'll put that down on on, on their, their chitty of 20 pounds for a communication if there's a fax that's 50 quid and eight percent of what they do 
is relevant. It don't work. Whereas the system in Scandinavia, it's got an 80% non-offending rate because they go back to source. Right, yeah. They they heal that damaged, emotionally yeah. damaged individual. So if you can imagine a person is three balls of snow, they're a snowman. The bottom base level one is their sexuality. That everything that involves their sexuality, their thinking, their emotions, and everything around sexuality, boom, that's a base level. The next bit is the heart level. That's their emotion. And on top is irrational thinking. When a child is abused, that emotion is shot through. It's punctured. And it stops growing. It don't grow. So everything else has to compensate. So you'll get people with over-sexualization, right? Or they've got base level thinking. They're into base level things, you know? Money, cars, girls, you know, base level thinking, right? And then whenever anything goes wrong, they can't make a decision because irrational thinking has to overcompensate and it don't work. That's why when, when there is a trauma, they'll go back to the damaged child. And it's like we said earlier, that's why you get someone shouting and screaming when something's gone wrong. Right, yeah. How dare you do that? That's a damaged child. Yeah. Uh, you know, and of course the damaged child hasn't got a mortgage, hasn't got a family because they're a child. But this could be a 40, 50-year-old man. But when that kicks off, you think, you're going to get nicked if you carry on like that. Well, they don't see that. that They're a damaged child who's emotionally poured out. So what you, you know, and they're kicking off. So what you've got to do in therapy is go back and heal that emotion and make them whole again and let them emotionally grow and everything else will balance out. But here it's just nick them and if you come back, you come back sort of but, thing. And, and again, that's not the police's fault. Yeah. That's a home office decision. Yeah. You know, and it's a societal decision because it's not the police that go out there and abuse these kids. It might happen. No, no doubt it does happen. But, you know, we can go on about Muslim grooming gangs. We can go on about this. But 80% of all abuse and trafficking of children goes on in the home. Right? So we're going to attack anyone. Let's attack mums and dads. Yeah. You know? But people ain't ready to hear that. So They don't want to hear it because it's too near. Yeah. yeah. You know? And, and this, I mean, what can you, like, we the you, you have to rely on the parents. And yeah. to, you but can't well, what, parents. What we do is we, we, we go to the core and make society better. Yeah. Yeah. Stop men running off and leaving kids yeah. where they should be at home protecting their child. Well, who's tucking your kid at night? Now you're off gallivanting with another woman, you know? And, and again, women, what, just, what men are you bringing in? We your never life? solve the long term. It's just short term. Kick the can down always, to the next. Always, always. Just, yeah. but, but there's been a show, slow degeneration in society, you know? That's why yeah. policing, it, it, it doesn't work. But, you, you know, I, I end up on this unit and, and I'm thinking, flipping out, you know, it was just a money-making machine. It was, we were nicking these girls. Um, so there'll be three teams, right? And you'd have to do a week of nights and your night was called enforcements. You'd go to a red light area in London and there'd be about four cars, double crewed up, and you'd just be nicking street prostitutes for the offence, the ancient offence of loitering, 18, whatever, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a Literally, bit like, yeah, 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 you know, street whores yeah. and they come, boom, you know. And you say, right, you're nicked. And that was it, you know. And it, it was a very, we didn't even have to write our notes. We could write our notes in um, in abbreviations and acronyms. So our notes could be um, ODDTP, on day date, time, place, OIC, KKPN, known common prostitute, blah, blah. And it was all done, you know. Yeah. And we could get a prostitute, ever arrested, ever turned around, back out in the street within half an hour at certain police stations, right? And in the meantime, she'd be summoned to the court to pay a fine of 50 quid. 
Well, she had a crackhead. She's an addict. How's she going to pay 50 quid fine? She's going to have to go out whoring to pay that money, you know? And again, they all come from abuse. And you've got to the point where you think, well, this is pointless. But the teams would compete. So if you could nick, we called them Toms, right? Toms. And that come from uh, the, the British Pope, Thomas More, Hall. Thomas okay. More, St. Thomas More, Hall. So we were called the Tom Squad. So The Tom Squad. We'd go out there and, and if you could do it, have a hundred toms in in a week you were like number one team right so it was just a competition that each team could nick a hundred toms a week right? and how was that going with your sensibilities of like point things having a worth worth and all that well, you- well, well it was out the window and um so one one day and of course so it was um it, it would involve street prostitutes but also it would involve juvenile protection because they knew there was kids w- were involved, right? And the Victorians were really good because they brought in some really good stern laws that would protect children. So children weren't allowed in brothels and that because it was it would ruin society, the moral of society. Whereas there's no morals in our laws now. Back then they had right, morals okay. penciled into their laws. And one day, I can always remember, we were in Market Road in Islington, um, very busiest road for prostitutes. People going about King's Cross and no, man, Market Road in Islington. This this place was alive, you know. And you go down there, you could have maybe some days like fifteen girls lined up along this road. And see this this girl come out waiting, and she sees us. She goes in the bushes. So we drive up. I dragged her out. Man, she was fourteen years old, but she was underweight, right? Because she's on heroin, and she's a little girl anyway. And she's covered in scabs, right? So, so I said, come on, you're coming in. You're coming in, protective custody. I'm, I'm taking you in. So I took her in as protective custody. So I, I exercised my, my rights, you know, um, uh, for uh, emergency protection order. So police protection order, PPO. And then I get the social services involved. So I just put it up on, on the radio to, to the controller, just brought in this girl, going to take her back. And they went, get, get her out of the car now, get her out of the car. I went, what do you mean? She said she's got scabies. I went, and she said, no, we'll have to clean the car. It's going to have to be deep clean. Don't take it. We had a special room we took them to called a jar room. Juveniles at risk. Don't take her to the jar room. We'll have to get it cleaned. I said, what do I do with her then? I said, to F off. Get out now, you know, because that car was off the road and I was a top money earner for them. I was good at what I was doing, you know. And they said, no, 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 we'll, we'll come second in the league if you're, you're, oh, geez. But, but, but I took her in, I took her in and, uh, you know, and then of course I knocked up the overtime because the social workers didn't, but she was back out in the street again the next day. And so from, from there, um, I got poached and I ended up working and it was, this was the best job in the world. And it was, we, I was the only me and this inspector. And again, I, I don't want to give too much away about this guy, but what a good guy. And, um, he'd brought up kids on his own and he'd heard I was bringing up kids on my own, right? And, uh, he was an Indian fella. That's all I'll say, really. But he was an ex-boxer and he used to just, and he was a covert officer. He did covert stuff. And I think something had happened in his life and he'd, he'd had a very traumatic experience. So giving him this job and it was, um, investigating casino crime. So he was the only dedicated officer in the world to investigate casino crime. So he said, look, oh, yeah, you're looking after kids. I went, yeah. He went, well, come work with me. I brought up kids on my own. I, I said, well, don't worry. Like he said, yeah, he does. And it, it was something like nine o'clock at night. He rung up the superintendent and he got me seconded to him. So I ended up working with this lovely man. And he, he was a good man. But he didn't really have too much of a steer how it all worked. And it, 
the, the, the intelligence with the casino industry is fantastic. And a lot of the um, casino in intel officers all come from this army unit called the 14 Int Regiment, which is part of the SAS, but for Northern Ireland. So they recruited them from there. <laughs> yeah. And they were brilliant. They were absolutely awesome. They were better than any police intelligence team I've ever worked with. They were bang on, you know, but they still couldn't work out who these gangs were. And I started doing it, right? And I knew nothing about gambling or casino cheating. And they were making money. Some like, times they were making 1.5 million a night. Talk about organized crime. These were one, one guy who was making 80 grand a night. The le least he could do would be 3,000 pounds. But, and they were all Turkish. Every single one was Turkish. Uh, they were. They thought that there was hundreds of them. There was five of them. <laughs> they would work all around the world. They were card markers and roulette cheats. Oh, so they were cheating at games, were they? Yeah, yeah. And so what they would do, this was brilliant. So they, they'd get a card, right? So it's, it's a picture card. So the, high, the high numbers in the picture cards make money. So you'd see them in there. And what they'd do, they'd grow their nail along. And they'd, like a queen, they'd pinch it there. And then they'd turn around and pinch it there. And a king, they pinch it there and there. So if it's upside down, which you think, well, so what? But under light, you can see the indentation slightly, you know? And that's their car mark, and that's how they were doing it, you know? And they'd, they'd have to position themselves just right, and they'd be <laughs> in a gang. And and they were fantastic, you know? They were they were cleaning up around the world. And, of course, it's only illegal if, if a cheap move affects play, right? And does this affect play? Maybe not, right? So they didn't know how to get them. So I got them under under what they call a pecuniary advantage. It was a it was a very unused part of the theft act, and it's illegal to use false details to gamble. False so details. You're not allowed to use false name to gamble, right? Oh, they were doing the. They, they were the going game. in with false oh, right, ID, okay. and that's how I got them. Because you had to register up till a few years ago. Yeah, you had when to. I, yeah, yeah, compliance I, laws. I worked in the casino a long time ago. You had to be a member, and yeah, and, and then. Uh, you, other people had to be invited. You know what I mean? You literally yep. had to sort of, you could, you could go a few times, I think as a guest, but then you had to yep. become a member. It's so like it was, getting the gangsters on a tax law. We can't get the crime. Yeah. So we'll get you on the, and, and this is how I got them. Right. And of course I started really causing problems for them. But as I was going up and I was raiding the houses, what I didn't realize is that these boys were, were, were key players in, in the international heroin smuggling ring. They were part of a big firm that run out of North London. Um, and when I was going around getting raiding the houses, I was finding heroin, you know. So in one week, I got got over 320 kilos of heroin, which is a huge amount, yeah. you know. That's like 30 million quid of heroin, yeah. and it caused a deficit and a problem. So, um, one of the bosses, uh, there was an undercover uh, operation going with the uh, the I think it was Interpol. And the National Crime Squad had an undercover job and it was centered around green lanes in Haringey. And they'd, they'd, they'd infiltrated, they had a covert officer working in there and there was a, a coffee shop in green lanes and in the back there was a lot of gambling going on and this guy's doing there and this picture comes in and it's of me and it's put the blue-eyed snake Right, and and someone hands it around and goes, look, he looks like us because my my skin colour, but he's got blue eyes. He makes out he's stupid, but he's not. He's causing problem. His name's John Major. You know, he needs taken out. So there was forty grand was put up to him. He shot, and one guy took it. 
watching. To, to shoot me. <laughs> so, so this then comes back from Interpol, gets fed back. So I get pulled in the office and said, right, I got banned from Haringey and Hackney. I said, look, it's a contract out in your life, you know, because I was seizing all the heroin. Uh, and it, what happened then, the guy that, that got the contract, he'd actually been brought up in a kid's home. And he ended up handing himself in for some reason and said, look, you know, I, I want to give some information to the police. And I said, was a whistleblower. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. yeah. But the bloke had put the money up. He was found uh, about five years ago in Epping Forest with his head cut off. Oh, blimey. Yeah. Yeah, buried in a shallow grave. His eyes was tied behind his back and beheaded. So they, they were serious. They were serious, serious players. But in the meantime, what they did was, because I started nicking them, they started talking to me. The National Crime School said, well, keep going. So they started sending me into prisons. So I used to start going into various prisons in the UK, getting information. And then uh, they realised I was quite good at it. And then they kept me going with that. But because of the death threat, Right. Uh, it all got brought back in again, yeah. right? So he said, no, we, it's too dangerous. He's going to get killed, this lad. So I got brought back in. And then they said, look, there's a job going. And there's a little girl has come forward. And she said she's being used as a prostitute. And she's in a kid's home in, in the middle of England. And she keeps going on about central London. And we think she's a liar. And we're all right. Look, go and if you think, if she's a scumbag, they used to call kids scrotes, scrotes. She's a bit scroty. They said, we think she's a scroat. Um, we'll write it off. Right. But so she'd been in a police station twice. She's only young. So I went and met this girl. She was, she was small for her age. You know, uh, this is what, again, what annoys me about when they do these NSPCC or whatever adverts about traffic kids. There's always this sweet little blonde girl sat in the corner with a doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these are street kids, you know. And they're a handful, and some of them aren't nice kids. Let's call it what yeah. it is here, you know. But they've come from trauma. They've come from abuse. They've, they've molded to their environment. And some of these are dangerous. Some of these have been used in, in street executions, you know. Mm. And one girl did. She told me about how she'd, she'd been used to murder someone. And, you know, they're, they're on the ball. So I went to see this girl. And yeah, she, she wasn't what I call pleasant. But she was a kid. And it was strange because I had... Um, I used to go to Spain with my kids. I used to buy these lighters and uh, they'd be like little animals and it used to make me laugh because they looked like toys in these little Chinese shops in Spain. Be a euro and you press them and a flame comes out and think, typical Spanish, it looks like a sweet toy. But actually, <laughs> yeah. Burn your house down, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and, and I used to like buy them. Anyway, um, the girl, she was smoking and uh, and I got this frog lighter out and I, get, and I, I give it to her. And the social worker went, you can't do that. I said, come on. You know, she's on heroin, she's on crack cocaine, yeah. she's away from her family. The lighter away, she's uh, probably going to do today's smoke of a cigarette. Oh, yeah. exactly. Come on, let's get real here, you know. Yeah. And I said, no, it's yours. And she went, look, look I like you. She said, um, I want to tell you something. I went, okay. And she then regaled this story. And I said, oh, my God. She said, it's not just me. There's others, John. There's others. I'll get them for you. So I said, okay. So I said, I'm going to come and somehow we're going to get you on the street, right? And again, she's illiterate. Um, you, you couldn't interview them in the normal sense because you, they, they can't read and write, some of these kids, and therefore they can't draw either, you know? It, and, you, and you try and explain simple things like get a map out, right? And you say, right, where was it? And they can't read a map because it don't mean anything to them, right? And you say, well, where's north? Well, what's north? Yeah. 
you know, so we can't be putting our standards on some people because they just don't get it, you know. So I was sitting there thinking, how am I going to interview this girl? And I was watching a program on the telly and it was traffic coppers and they were nicking people and they've got all cameras in their car and they've actually got this car with cameras and when they nick someone for speeding or some nonsense like that, they put them in the back and they give them a ticket and there's cameras on them. And it's like a normal plainclothes car and I'm thinking, wow, well, that'd work. So I went to the traffic unit and said, have you got these cars with all the cameras like I saw on the telly? I went, yeah. I said, can I, can I borrow one? I went, no. Well, you've got to be an advanced driver and all this. Typical traffic cop. Uh, uh, you know, anyway. And I, uh, I said, we'll give you a driver. And I said, well, I want an interview. Oh, no, we can't give it to you because if you're dealing with sex crimes, you've got to be trained in it, right? So you can't just have anyone there. So all our interpreters that we use were all trained in sex crimes. Our social workers and court staff all have to be trained in it because it could yeah, bring some people to their knees, yeah. And it's incredible when I've given public talks how people have just run out of the room, you know, uh, for two reasons. One, because they're victim. Two, because maybe they've done it, you yeah. know. So it's, and you watch it, when you talk about it, people like, you know, they're, they're fr it's, it's, uh, I'll tell you a, quite an interesting story about that in a prison. Um, anyway, so um, we get this guy and, and of course he's trained in it. He, he, he worked on a rape unit, become a traffic officer and he was brilliant. So I said, look, let's get her in and let's take her on the street. And she was brilliant, this girl. She was awesome. And she even picked out one bloke who'd raped her in the hotel. She went, him, him there. That's him. He's one of them. So we end up getting him and we corroborated a story. So well, they said she's a liar, she weren't. And then she got a friend to talk. And then her other friend, all of a sudden, it was piling in like this, right? We couldn't keep up with it. It was massive. And the police had known about it. And when I went into archive intelligence forms, they'd known. They'd known for 15 years. They knew that this had gone on, yeah. right? And nothing. And it was a woman. And again, it was a woman that was running it. So all this about paedophilia, it's middle-aged white men who live with their mums with big milk bottle yeah. glasses or a bit odd. It, you know, and this is what I do when I do my talking. You know, someone said to me the other day, oh, there's not many black paedophiles. I said, oh, what you want about? They come, look, talking about secret society, right? Paedophilia is an, a, is the ultimate secret society, right? Um, as is Satanism, to be honest. Um, because they don't care who's in it. They don't care about color. They don't care about income bracket. They don't care anything. They're, Great unifier. They are, they are. They're the most non judgmental people on the planet. We can, <laughs> learn, we can learn a lot from these yeah, people, right, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, it is incredible. You know, they come from every, every single religion. My word, it yeah. matters not. They're unified in their, their, their love and their perversion of, of raping children. Um, so these names are coming in. And of course, what was happening where the girls were being taken, and we hear about it trafficking now, but trafficking is, is the movement from point A to point B for the purpose of crime. It's always gone on now. There's this big trafficking, trafficking. You hear it everywhere, you know, and it's always, always gone on. Um, so kids, when they take from a kid's home, to a client, well, it's trafficking, you know, but what the public perception is, like when he's taken films where it's always Balkan gangsters from Bulgaria or, you know, Chechnya that are, I mean, how racist is that for a start? You know, that they're trafficking these young girls to Arab, you know, uh, like clients. Like white slavers, you yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah, like it. that kind of myth, you know, and yeah. sort of. And, and it's, it's all sorts. So 
and what happened was the, the girls uh, during the day would be taken to crack houses. They'd be exchanged for crack. So they'd be passed around for sex amongst the crack smokers and everything else and the crack dealers. And some of these, these were like 30-year-old Jamaican guys, you know, um, again, women as well would be using them, you know, all sorts, right? And then in the evening, they'd be taken um, to, to restaurants just off of Park Lane, you know, like Curzon Street, upmarket Lebanese and Arab restaurants, and they were traded for two grand a piece, you know? And I was like, wow, but what happened was someone said, one of the girls said to me, why do you think this girl who does it always gets away with it? I said, look at her record. She's got the lowest convictions of any of the street girls. And I was like, okay, why? Because why? there's a judge involved and there's a copper involved. And there was. That's it, was. So, and then there was someone high up in the music department of the BBC. Um, th this all ran out of a street called um, Sussex Gardens, which 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 sort of uh, runs perpendicular to the Edgware Road in Paddington. And oh man, that was a crazy, crazy place. You know, there were there were there were girls traded live on the street, and it was ignored. So, what I did was then I decided right, all this intelligence got to be pulled together, got to speak it as it is, right? So, the people I was working with said, "Don't do it, don't do it." I thought, "No, I've got to do it." So I did. I put this report on about those involved. Well, that was it. That was the end of my career. You know, <laughs> literally, that was it. Um, so. Uh, it went on to the system. So what they said to me first, everything you've got to do is handwritten because it's so sensitive. Well, it go missing. So it's handwritten straight to shredder, you know. So I decided to put it on a computer system, which would make it accessible to everyone. So everything, the police is heavily compartmentalised, right? And this is why I get really upset when people go on about, these, especially these protesters, shame on you and they're shouting at poor beat bobbies on the street. We don't have low-level corruption. We have low-level stupidity and arrogance and, and and laziness. That's what we have. Our corruption is in high office. Let's get it right. It's in high office. And anyone like myself and Frank Serpico that ends up in that world, well, none shall call it conspiracy because it really does exist, you know? Um, but it, And it's a very volatile and dangerous world, you know? Uh, so... I put this thing on and then I was dragged in by a senior officer and he basically said to me, look, um, if you mention a word of what what you know outside this office, you're going to lose your home, your children and your kids, right? He said, you've no idea. You'll be thrown to the walls. You've no idea what you're dealing with. Uh, I was shocked. I was in shock, you know, and I was frightened. First time I was probably frightened, you know. Even the Turkish Mafia didn't frighten me that much, you know. I knew that they could do it, you know. And he, and he, he was, he was actually begging me. He was saying, you've got to back down. You have to back down. But I didn't. Um, so I went on to another unit, uh, child protection unit in Haringey. And in one week I found 50 kids that were being pimped out, 50 kids. What was the thing you said? You just opened up the phone book. You, you heard yeah, well, that, that wasn't, it. that was it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the catalyst was the little girl would come forward who I give the frog light to. She was then found dead on the street oh, with a suspicious overdose. Another girl, she later on died as well. She was the youngest. She was nine years old. One nine? Nine, yeah. Jesus. Nine. Gr grown men, you know. And a lot of these girls, you know, they had HIV. Yeah. They had syphilis. You know, they had uh, sores inside their anuses and their vaginas where they were just... No health. Just no, no, no. You know, uh, and it's... But I, I went on this unit... And I said, um, 
to the sergeant, it was a child protection unit, do you have any problem with, with children involved in prostitution? No, 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 no. We've been looking into this. Uh, there is a point of contact. They call it a SPOC, a single point of contact. We've got a SPOC there. This uh, girl, she's been going to meetings for two years, not one case, in the London borough of Haringey. And again, I've shamed these people in in the government inquiry. So everything I'm telling you now has come out in a civil case that I held against the police and has come out in the government independent investigation into child sexual abuse in which I gave evidence in last October and is now officially government governmentally documented. Okay. And my statement, a 52-page statement, is online. Uh, on the government website. So everything I tell you now is that. So I'm not in any way jeopardizing your situation, your situation, or my situation, okay? Because I wouldn't do that, or ultimately the kid's situation. So uh, so I said to this detective sergeant, right, uh, she went, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, if you want the job of looking into it, you can have it. And what it means is you go to a meeting every now and then, and you can go home afterwards. So it's like a day out. So I go to a meeting, load of old nonsense, have 10 biscuits with a load of social workers, deny the biggest threat to society and then go home and think you've done a good job so i've I, I got social services i rang them i said can you send me a list of children's home what i didn't realize was haringey uh for its size and everything else there's more children's homes than any little district in the uk they had 26 in a very small borough yeah haringey's not that big no 26 Bloody hell. and and they're, they're not like the big institutions again i give i give talks on the history of children's homes and it's organized trafficking it's massive, you know, like Dr. Bellardo's and all this yeah. sort of thing. It, it's it's incredible, you know, how this system has been allowed. And and again, there's societal issues around it and geographical issues and economic issues around it. You know, and the war had a big part to play in people's demeanour and things like that as well. Um, and you'll find there is a disproportionate amount of children's homes and sexual abuse in left-wing London boroughs unless due to liberalisation of laws and, and anti-discrimination laws, and it allows perverts to infiltrate and abuse this liberalisation. Uh, and again, that is factually based. Um, so I, I get these 26 times, and I ring up the first one, uh, and literally ring up, answer the phone, and I said, look, no one's in any trouble. This is who I am. This is what I'm doing. How many kids have got? I said, five. So they get £2,000 per kid per week, five kids. And say a Victorian house you buy, say, in, in, in Hornsey in London, and you decide to turn it into a children's home, and they're going to fill that with kids, right? They're dysfunctional kids. They'll send you a social worker, a cook, a night. You ain't got to do anything, and you're going to cop 10 grand a week, 40 grand a month, right? And it depends on, on how vigilant and how much of a heart you've got. What, what safeguarding is in place for these kids? Because the moment they're off social services books and they're in these homes, do you think they're bothered about them? No, 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 they're not interested. They actually come off the books more or less. For the yeah, government. yeah, yeah. And they're like, we don't hear about them. They're not our problems. Right, We've done yeah, our yeah, job. Because yeah. there is a duty of care to house these kids. There's a duty of care to children to be educated. How they're educated, no one cares. You know, once they're in that place, and and you really think if, if anyone goes and adjudicates and investigates and said, oh, are you abusing these kids? They're going to go, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how naive. But again, there's vast amounts of of our society think that that is the attitude, right? Um, we're running on a bit. Would you mind doing this as a two parter? I'll tell you why, because there's a lot more to it, and I don't want to end on the bad because I want to hear how it all turns into the good after and everything comes out. And I think that's a good hook because that's what the interesting thing is when you started actually phoning around and boots on the ground sort of thing. 
So if you wouldn't mind doing a second part, in like maybe in a couple of weeks, yep. we'll get we'll bolt them together because there's a lot to the other side. It's not all doom and gloom with you. You've changed life. Oh, you've done man. a lot of things. Yeah. There's so many people that you've met that I want to speak to you about. Yeah. That I thought that would make another good show if we end there, if you don't mind, and we'll do another show because I want to hear about when you did start phoning up and that because that opens up another can of worms. And I said, I don't want to rush the end bit in. Uh -oh. If you don't mind doing oh, that. So I happily do that. And of course, it will go on to how the government got involved. Yeah, the it's minister's a big, got involved. Because you've, <laughs> you've lived you about know. 10 lives. Yeah, you know, and, and, and there was an uh, uh, information about an, an attempt to kill me whilst I did that as well. So, yeah. so there's a lot, because there's a lot of things I want to talk about, but I'd, if we, I want to have time to do it properly. Yeah. So if we can s keep it there just before the phoning up and the, the kids' homes and the things like that and what you found out through all that, um, do that in the second show because then we can spend more time yeah, and then going yeah. to that if you don't mind. Yeah, and, and I'm with you totally and I 100% do that. And what, what I was saying, just, just to end on yeah, this, yeah, is, is the fact that ultimately what I do now is, is I go out and I campaign yeah. for justice for survivors of abuse. As a result of that, I, I do a lot of work with um, serious ex-criminals, yeah. um, a, a lot of good work. Uh, you know, I do a lot of work now with the travelling community yeah. which is yeah. really what I wanted to speak to you about because there's yeah. some stuff you told me about that that was so interesting yeah I you know and, you know. and, and uh, you know I'm writing a book at the moment and uh, one very infamous gangster um, bless him he turned around and said call it ironic your book and I went right he said call it ironic he said because your life is ironic yeah. and and all my friends now are all ex-criminals ex-murderers yeah we've chatted and you've got some interesting yeah. people that you've met that and this is what I want to go into but in fact it, we might make it because I'm I'm on holiday next week um, but maybe we can sort out the next time I see you that we spoke about we could get the yeah. second show and just bolt them both yeah, together yeah. because I said it's it's too interesting. You've got, there's so many things that I want to ask. This is very dense. Yeah. yeah. This is and it gets a lot, yeah. but I said, and I want to spend, I get to spend more time speaking about the, everything afterwards as well. So if we can do that in our next show, we'll do that. We'll set up that up now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm here but we'll whenever. start off again with what happened when you started phoning around in the, because that was just a, that's when I stopped listening to some of you because I thought, God, I want to ask him so many questions. So yeah. I, I don't know how it will turn out. But um, yeah, if you don't mind, because we've gone on for a while now, that would be really good. Yeah, yeah, no, that, yeah. John, you're an interesting dude, man. It's been harrowing. But, yeah, but, yeah, I, I, informative. I, yeah. I, I went on the, uh, been on Sean Atwood show quite a few times, and he's got a co-host now, and and she was like the the day before I was coming on, she's there writing out questions. Sean's going, what, what are you doing? So I'm writing out questions like for John Wedger because yeah. you know there, there's dry pauses and you know did he just scrap that page? <laughs> I don't think you'll need it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, listen, thank you very much. You. We're going to go and put some water in your car now for you, John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have a little dog in the back. <laughs> I'll, leave you, I'll leave you with this one. Um, I can always remember uh, taking a prisoner into, um, I can't remember what station, it might be in Islington or somewhere like that. And, and this guy, um, he'd, he'd left his tobacco um, out. He said, Oh, you can roll a stick. Back then I smoked. Um, and I, so I had a fag and I think I ended up smoking most of his tobacco, right? So as I'm taking him, he's gone to roll up a cigarette before we go in the custody suite and he's realized I smoked it all. So he's, he said, what have you done? He said, you, I told you to leave one. So what he does, he, he clouts me around the head and went, right, that's the last time I offer you, a, you know, a fag, you know? And then as we go in, this coppers come behind me, grab me, run me through the door and, uh, and I've gone flying in and he said to, to, to the, the criminal while I've nicked, he went, 
we'll bang him straight up, mate. Just give your evidence to a sergeant. And he went, no, 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 no. He's a copper. He's a copper. Right, so John, we're going to have you back for our next show then. We're going to stick these two shows together so we've got enough time to spend here. Um, Again, splitting the shows up, just a sign of respect, the the amount of stuff, because we've never done it before, the amount of stuff I want to talk to you about. But um, yeah, thank you very much. I've got the water bottle down here, so we're going to look after you. We're not going to let you go. And uh, we're going to have you back on for the next show and you can hear the second part of John's life. Cheers, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Could be alive.